We are talking about covenant relationships. We got here by talking about how God was making a people for himself by establishing covenants. And in those covenants were all of the elements necessary for intimacy. God created the world so that he could make a people for himself, that they might experience his love and the joy of living out his character. Therefore, our concern is not just learning what those covenants are, but our concern is growing within ourselves what the Spirit would plant as a covenant character. God wants the kind of people that can last forever in a relationship. Now, we've been using marriage as a, a place in which it can be illustrated that that covenant character can be developed for all relationships. I am very aware that there are many people in this place with failed relationships, and I am very aware that the other side would love to come and occupy your time this sermon time with whisperings of condemnation and say to you, this message is not for you. This is only for those who have had successful, perfect relationships. And that, I want to tell you, is a lie. This message is for you because God seeks to create in us covenant character in all of our relationships, no matter what the status of our present relationships are or our win-lose records in relationships. God has the same intentions for us all, and that being that we can be people who love forever. And so, wherever it is, with you right now, God can work with that, and will work with that, and God is the one who brings forth that character. Now, let me go through this scripture with you so that you understand the scripture. And then let me tell you what it takes to build a vision for a relationship in your heart. This is a companion scripture to Matthew 19. Um, it says some of the same things as you will hear. It starts out with a problem. And the problem is that the people of the land, in response to their adulterous heart, are divorcing their wives and pursuing wives among the heathen. And so there is a growing problem with not only with the population but with the priesthood of adultery and especially of putting away covenant relationships. And Malachi, or, or the Lord, really starts exactly where Jesus started. He doesn't start with the problem. He starts way back in the beginning. Just like we said last week. And he says, do we all not have one father? What did he read there? He read it in scripture, didn't he? But he begins back with the ideal. Has not one God created us? Why do we deal treacherously each against his brother so as to profane the covenant of our fathers? Now I want you to see two things here. Divorce is not an individual relationship problem. In the biblical culture, it is seen as a, a problem for all covenant relationships. It's seen as a problem for the fabric of the, of the culture, of the society, and seen as a problem, as an interruptive for the heritage that they've been given. So therefore, it's not just an individual problem. 
Judah has dealt treacherously and, and an abomination has been committed in Israel and in Jerusalem. For Judah has profaned the sanctuary of the Lord, which he loves and has married the daughter of a foreign god. As for the man who does this, may the Lord cut off from the tents of Jacob everyone who awakes and answers, or who presents an offering to the Lord of hosts. And this is another thing you do. You cover the altar of the Lord with tears and weeping, with groaning, because he no longer regards the offering or accepts it with favor from your hand. Now let me tell you two things that are happening. Because of the adulterous heart, because of the, of the pursuit of other relationships and the putting away of the relationships that God has given them, two results are they are cut off from their people. They are cut off from the holy people of God. Those relationships disintegrate. The relationships that were meant to last forever are now avoided. And not only that, but their offerings. Now think of what goes into an offering. An offering is the produce that we give for approval. Right? Now, they no longer feel that their offering is being accepted. In modern America culture, American culture, this would have uh, really two uh, images. One of a person coming to church saying, I'm going to bring myself to church and just see if I get anything out of it. What my life is like, I'm going to lay it uh, in front here and just see if I can get anything out of it. And what he has gotten before, that warmth and the exhilaration and that personal relationship with the Lord, continues to fade. Continues to fade. And so he becomes more and more frustrated. And maybe he'll try another church, and, and it'll be good for a while, but then that'll fade. And maybe he'll try another church, and it'll be good for a while, but that'll fade. Why? Because the very basis of worship is relationship. And if relationships are broken, the link to worship is broken. And so, therefore, the offering doesn't feel like it's being accepted. Another link, more secular, it seems to us, but really has a spiritual uh, uh, foundation to it, is that that which we produce in our lives no longer seems good to us. For that reason, people will go out and kill themselves trying to build their careers, and they still will remain empty. Why? Because their relationships are emaciated. And as long as relationships remain hollow, there is no reward. There is no satisfaction with what we can produce. Our offering to the world, or even our offering to our families, does not bring us satisfaction because the relationships have been left behind. Now let me go on here. It says in verse 14, Yet you say, for what reason? Why is this happening to me? Because the Lord has been a witness. As God is my witness, the, the song said. The Lord has been a witness between you and the wife of your youth. Remember that phrase. That has an emotional impact and a very intentional meaning. Against whom you have dealt treacherously, though she is your companion and your wife by covenant. You can look it up in Proverbs 2.17 where it mentions that. But not one has done so who has a remnant of the Spirit. And what did that one do while he was seeking, now listen to this, a godly offspring. Now the attention turns. At first we were looking from the past at what God wanted these relationships to be. And so there was a deposit of, of our heritage. Now we're looking toward the future. And one of the things that really is hurting 
is because we want a godly offspring, but even that is being subtracted. Now, read further with me. Take heed then to your spirit. Let no one deal treacherously against the wife of your, your youth. I hate divorce, says the Lord God of Israel, and him who covers his garment with wrong, says the Lord of hosts. So take heed to your spirit. There's that phrase again. That you do not deal treacherously. It is my assumption that one of the reasons this generation remains so empty and so burdened and so frustrated is because it has absolutely no vision of the future. One of the reasons that we find ourselves without power in our daily relationships is because we see them as daily relationships. We don't see them lasting 30 and 40 years. We can't see what they will be 30 or 40 years from now. It is absolutely necessary that we see life as more than this week's checklist and last week's problems. It is absolutely necessary that we are able to vision the long view of history as the Bible does. And we are able to see where we are going because it's only as we are able to see where we are going that we'll have the strength and direction to get there. In Scripture, it was foundational that people knew where they were going. It is what gave them the motivation, the, the energy to get there. In Hebrews eleven thirteen, it says, it's talking about the great men of the faith. And it says, you know, they didn't get the promises, but they saw them from afar off. They were going somewhere. They knew where they were going. There was a movie that came out a long time ago. Classic movie. It's a classic book of Mice and Men. I don't know if you remember the original edition of that movie. I remember Lon Chaney, I think, starred in it. Uh, he was Lenny, the big, strong, retarded fella. And Lenny had a good friend, George. And they traveled the land, and they got in various troubles. And, uh, and every time they got in troubles, Lenny would come to George and say, George, tell me the story again. Tell me how it's going to be. And George would say, oh, Lenny, I don't want to go through that again. No, 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 George. Tell me, tell me how it's going to be someday. And George would go into the story. Well, someday, Lenny... We're going to have a farm. Oh, a farm. We're going to have a farm, aren't we, George? Yeah, we're going to have a farm. Hey, George, are we going to have animals on the farm? Yeah, there are going to be lots of animals on the farm. Rabbits. Tell me about the rabbits, George. Yeah, Lenny, there are going to be lots and lots of rabbits. Oh, Lenny would say, I love rabbits. Little rabbits. And he'd be able to go on the strength of of that vision. Do you think, let me ask you this, do you think that when the children of Israel were wandering around for 40 years in the desert, they went up to Moses and said, Moses, tell us again how it's going to be when we get there. And Moses said, not again. Yeah, tell us. Tell us about the milk and the honey. Tell us how it will be in the promised land. And they went on the strength of that vision. 
It is so important you allow the Lord God to put a vision in your mind for your marriage and for your friendships and for your church. And only the Lord will do it. In Ephesians 4.23, it says, Be renewed by the, listen to this, spirit of your mind. What is the activity of the spirit in us? Is it not, at least in part, to create the vision that experience and logic can't come close to. Look at, look at the book of Joel in, in the second chapter. Look at what it says. I love this. Second chapter, verses 28 and 29. It predicts the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. This is the Lord talking. And it will come about that after this that I will pour out my Spirit on all mankind. And your sons and daughters will prophesy, and your old men will dream dreams, and your young men will see visions. Even on the male and female servants I will pour out my Spirit in those days. What did they do for encouragement when they were discouraged, for energy when they were drained? They remembered how faithful God had been, and they looked to the future at what God could possibly do with them. They had the vision. They had a vision. Now, let me give you three ways that God can take an opportunity to build a vision in your life. Because, frankly, I don't see a great vision in the church. As I go talking to people in the church, I say to them, one of my favorite questions is, what do you think you'll be in ten years? What would you love to have accomplished in your life in ten years? And do you know the answer I get more than any other answer? You know, I just want peace. I just want serenity. I want a little relief. Life is such a struggle. There's nothing wrong with that. Absolutely nothing wrong. But when the main thing that people want in their life is relief, it says to me, they don't have a vision. They don't know where they're going. God wants to build a vision. And only through his spirit will he do it. Now, let me give you three ways to let him do that. First of all, you need some place to get away. There's a very practical suggestion. But this is how Jesus did it. This is how Jesus kept his perspective. In Matthew 14:23, I think it says, it's just one of the examples. It says, and Jesus sent the multitudes away, and he climbed a high mountain, and by nighttime he was alone. You need to get out of the arena of conflict and frustration that you're in. You need to leave that geography, if only for a couple hours, in order to recover a place where you can have a larger perspective. Let me tell you one reason in two ways. Spiritually speaking, you need to get out of that geography because there are territorial spirits that have you as their target. If you have been in conflict in a certain situation, absolute frustration, absolute draining. I want you to know that's an activity of the other side. And so therefore, there will be in that place those things that keep coming after you. Now, from a psychological standpoint, you can put it like this. Anyone who has an unpleasant experience in a certain part of the geography of the earth 
when they run into another frustrating experience, those tapes go off again. And so therefore, it's very difficult to get any perspective staying in the same place because you are focused on the conflict instead of on the ideal. You are reminded of the conflict instead of the ideal. Therefore, it's very important that you have a place that you can go and get a larger perspective. I can get more of a perspective on life on a, in a two-hour walk on the beach than I can in ten hours on my knees in my office. It just happens like that. And so therefore, have a place you can get away. Secondly, it is very important that you volitionally stand in the way of things you know will not create the future God wants to have for you. Do you know what happens when there's conflict in our house? And there is conflict in our house. We have three boys, all of them very strong people. My wife is a very strong person. I'm a very strong person. We haven't got... Well, you keep thinking, well, you ought to have one passive person in here somewhere. Some peacemaker somewhere. Five strong people in the same house. I guarantee you there is conflict in our house. Now, there are a couple of things we do allow. We do allow people to express their negative emotions. And we do allow people to express their contrary opinion. If they have some other view, that's okay. But in every conflict, there comes a point of diminishing returns. There comes a point at which the anger takes over. And the light becomes less than the heat. And the heat begins to take over the conversation. And it is at that point when I will step in and I will say, whoops, 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 we're going to drop this now. I know we haven't solved it, but we're going to drop it because we're not going to live like this. That's a famous phrase at our house. You can ask our kids. We're not going to live like this. Families don't live like this. Our family will not live like this. Now, have I reached any solution whatsoever? No. What I've done is I have cut off that negative dynamic that will simply bury us in negativism. And I want you to have the permission to do that, whether or not you have a solution. We're not going to live like this. That's not what God has in intended for us. But there's also a positive aspect that's just as important. And that is to, to say, I will begin to think about what God does want for our family. What God does want for us together. In Proverbs it says, as a man thinketh what? So is he. That's exactly right. In Philippians 4 it says, whatever is good, whatever is pure, whatever is honorable, what? Think on these things, right? So therefore, that's what God wants us to set our mind. We don't, we aren't responsible for, for burying the vision ourselves. We are responsible, for, though, for getting our minds ready for a vision and asking God for that vision. Now, here's the third part. And I love this. Begin to think of all of your relationships in terms of what will this be like in 30 or 40 years. Hardly anybody I know does this. I love doing this. Operate in all your relationships as if you were going to be in them for 40 years. And God will begin to create a vision in your mind. Let me tell you what happens with me. This is just a personal 
illustration, but this is kind of how I live anyhow. I think often about how it's going to be when I get old. Does anybody else do that? I mean, I do it especially when I do some thing that, that... that I think oh, that I'll do when I'm old. You know, like a few weeks ago, for example, this is gross, but it, it serves as an illustration. A few weeks ago, I discovered that I had athlete's foot. For the first time in years, I felt very complimented that, that you know, that I had athlete's foot. So I went to the store and uh, got this antifungal spray, you know, and, and came home and, and cleaned up and, and promptly uh, grabbed a can and, and sprayed between all of my toes hairspray. I don't know how I did it. You know, as I got, felt sticky. I looked at the can. It was hairspray. And I thought, for a cry, now my toes stayed real nice all day long, but, <laughs> but I thought, for crying out loud, I said, what's it going to be like when I'm old? How will I be able to tell? There's not going to be anything different. It's, it's kind of like when they, when they came to Eleanor Roosevelt and they said, Calvin Coolidge died. Her response was, how can they tell? You know? <laughs> I'm not sure I'll be a lot different when I'm old. But Becky and I walked walked together often, and we and we kid each other about how it's going to be when you're old. When we're old, I say if you're going to be an absolute hoot when you're when you're old, you know, because we're doing all this goofy kind of stuff now. Well, I have this little vision of how it's going to be. I don't know what it'll be like this, but let me go through what I go through in my mind. You know, 30, 40 years from now, I see us on a porch together in rocking chairs. You know, I'll be 84 years old, 40 years, 83 or 84 years old. And we'll be sitting there and she'll be fussing about the grandchildren, just like she fussed about the children. And I'll say, Beck, it's going to be all right. It's a, Look, you worry too much. They're great kids. Everything's going to be all right. And she'll be saying, Hunter, you're just like a man. You never think in details about these things. You've got to think about these things. Now I'll look over at her and say, well, we haven't got time anyhow. We've got to get dressed and go to church. I've got to go preach. And she'll, and she'll say, you lunkhead, it's 3.30 on a Tuesday afternoon. And I'll say, oh yeah, I forgot. I forgot to tell you, we started a new service this week. She'll say, that makes 17 a week now. I'll say, oh, I know, we got to build new sanctuary someday. But we'll come to church, see? And maybe that'll be one of the times when old Vernon Rainwater will still be leaving <laughs> He'll come up. <laughs> and he'll start going to say, well, I want to teach you the future song. And he'll start playing, you know. He'll break a string. Won't even know. Won't even, won't even know. But that's okay because we won't either. We won't know it. See? And maybe by that time, see? If, if God, maybe we'll just be a few hundred because we all died off. I don't know, but maybe if we keep growing, see, maybe we'll be over at the dog track because we will have prayed it out of business years ago. See? And, and at that time, you know what? At that time, one of the premier ministries will be teaching children. You know why? Because we will have long since learned that growing careers are not fulfilling, that the most significant contribution we can make to this world is in the life of a child. And there will be people standing in line to teach Sunday school. 
And someday, it'll be Beck's turn and my turn. And we'll say, we'll let somebody else preach this service. We're going to go teach Sunday school together. And we'll be in that little room. And I'll be calling the kids over and say, I bet you guys never saw this before. Here's the church. Here's the steeple. Open the door and there's the pit. They'll say, oh, we've seen that. And Beck will say, let me tell you about Northland. Let me tell you about your parents and your grandparents and why some of you are still here. Do you know that you're sitting in the middle of a dog track? And they'll say, what? She'll say, yeah, Romans Road out there used to be called Dog Track Road. They'll say, Dog Track Road, what kind of thing? Yeah. She'll say, do you know that big equipment closet over at the, across the church? <laughs> that used to be the sanctuary. No, they'll say. Yeah. And before that, guess what it was? What? A roller skating rink. They'll say, what? She'll say, yeah, a roller skating rink. They'll say, no, what? It's a roller skating rink. <laughs> She'll say, well, yeah, back in the old days, people used to put wheels on their shoes. To do what? Well, they'd pay some money and go in a room and just keep going around in circles, rolling around in circles. <laughs> They'll say, why? Beck will say, I can't remember. You're going to meet boys or something. Some things don't change. But she'll say, I want to tell you. I want to tell you about Mr. Willis and, and Mr. Rainwater and Mr. Kidd and Mr. Peterson and, and Mr. Smith over here. I want to tell you about all of these people who are your grandfathers and, and great-grandfathers. And I want to tell you why you're still here. I want to tell you that one day people decided that love was worth lasting. One day people decided that love was a forever thing. And so they decided that no matter what, they'd stick together. One day they decided that God was important enough to put away their personal problems with each other. And to stick to a vision that he'd given them together. And that's called covenant love. And that's why when your daddies and mamas grew up, they didn't feel like they had to leave home to find what the world was all about. Because they saw it in your grandmothers and your grandfathers and your great-grandmothers and your great-grandfathers. And they wanted what they had. That's covenant love. I think about those things. And when I look at you, I wonder how many of us will be together if the Lord tarries and if God gives us a while to live 30, 40 years from now. And I think how wonderful it will be not to have to pursue other relationships because God has given you something worth sticking together for and your children something worth emulating. Would you pray with me? God, in some ways it's so strange to talk about relationships that last so long. It's such a foreign and alien concept to this culture as it was to the culture of Malachi. 
But it is not foreign to you. Because you are forever God and you build forever love. Help us to transfer our hearts from the adulterous persuasions of this culture to the rock-steady, deep, lasting love of your heart. And Lord, let others see hope in our love for each other. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.